there is there is nothing that is better than you, God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He can turn those dead situations and give uh, them life. Okay. So there is nothing better than him. I mean, that gives us something to shout about, something to be glad about, something to praise him about. Hallelujah. I don't know about anybody else, but I'm expecting great things from the Lord. Hallelujah. It's not even about what, you know, I may be experiencing now or what's going on now. It's about the greatness of God that I know he's going to exemplify in my life, in anybody's life who believe in him and have faith in him. So we just bless the Lord for you all this day for coming to be a part of our worship service this day. Hallelujah. And I pray God, uh, mighty power in his hand, his transforming power, his renewing power overtake you this day. Hallelujah. Let him do great excerpts in your life this day. We just bless the Lord. I just want to give honor to God first and foremost. Absolutely love it. Can't give a, get enough of it. Uh, even after teaching every day, all day, I cannot get enough of teaching the word of God. It is so good that it, it just makes me happy, makes me excited. So, of course, I honor him because that is, you know, I, I know it's him. It is, it is him. Because, you know, the, the physical body will tire of anything. But when it's the the, the power of God to operate and move in your life, he just... He gives you energy that endures. So I just bless him for it. I just want to give honor to Pastor Millicent and tell her thank you for even being willing, that willing vessel that God will use to just uh, start such a ministry that is there to reach the hurting, the lost, those who hunger after the righteousness of God. Uh, giving them a place where they can be filled, hallelujah, where they can just really uh, serve the Lord freely without the trauma, the drama, and all the craziness that sometimes happens when you, you do go into that brick and mortar building as a, um, as a targeted individual. So I just bless the Lord and I thank God for Pastor Millicent. We honor her in her capacity as pastor of the church and as uh, the, the, just the head of this of refuge from the storm, this ministry. So, and I honor each and every one of you in your respective places, whether it's here to uh, play the songs, do the prayers, or just be a part of such a wonderful ministry. You are important, you are loved, and you are appreciated. So I just, first of all, welcome you and thank you for being a part of uh, us coming together in the unity of the faith. I don't take it lightly. I thank you for being a part of that. He says that where two or more are gathered in his name, he is in the midst. So we know his presence is here. And I pray that, that you are taking in all of his presence. 
through uh, songs, through prayer, um, through the spoken word, it, just even in the fellowship that we're taking in the fullness of God's presence in our life today. So with that said, I, I wanna kinda um, do kind of an intro to the message today. Um, I'm gonna just kind of refer to Ezekiel the 37th, the Valley of Dry Bones, because the, the, the title of the message is Reframing for a Rebirth. Okay, reframing for a rebirth. Um, so, you know, we know um, without a doubt that, you know, all of us came, were, you know, pressed, I would say, um, into uh, these, the um, refuge from storm as part of the overall, you know, targeting and harassment that we have uh, had to, or we have experienced, right? So, of course, with that, we know that it comes, you know, with all types of, you know, um, devices, manipulations, uh, you know, electronic energy, you know, the, it runs the gamut. It runs the gamut. And so we know that we have just really endured some some tough times we've endured some trials some tribulations some challenges you know we've endured those things and no doubt with uh, no doubt any anybody would tell you and i mean even so we i mean you can read scriptures and you can see where those things are they play a part they play a part in in um, the wellness of our bodies, our minds, our soul states, our heart condition, it all have an effect on us. Some situations can get so bad that it, I mean, you almost feel like, hey, God, if you don't step in, you know, hey, I don't know. I'm just saying that I really need you to step in. So when we look at Ezekiel, the 37th uh, verse, I mean, chapter, it talks about the Valley of Dry Bones because we know that, you know, uh, just intense pressure, intense uh, uh, trauma, um, problems, issues, it'll dry you out. It will dry you out. And in some cases, you know, I hope that it, we never have to really experience it. As a matter of fact, right now, we declare that we don't have to experience it. But I mean, it just, it can lead death, lead to death of many different situations. And I'm going to talk about death, not as a physical death, but, you know, we can talk about death of relationship, death of, you know, people visions, death of people purposes. I mean, it just kind of runs the gamut. So we see in Ezekiel 37 chapter where, you know, you're in a, <laughs> Ezekiel was taken to a valley of dry bones, um, uh, by the Lord. And of course, Ezekiel was asked by God, can these bones live again? And of course, you know, I, I always love uh, Ezekiel's response because he refrains from judgment. He puts it right back on God. And he said, oh, God, only you know, you are the sovereign God, you know, okay. So he's acknowledging God, I'm just a vessel here. Okay. 
this is this is all you. So you know whether or not they can live again. <laughs> and so, of course, um, God tells Ezekiel to prophesy to those dry bones. And in it, he says um, to the bones, he said, I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. Okay. And part of that coming to life is that you will know that I am the Lord. Well, it goes even farther than rebirthing them just to come to life. Okay, so if you go farther down, as those bones start to come together and, and, and God um, start to rebirth them or put them back together again, he tells Ezekiel to, to prophesy the breath to him. And then um, he says that the breath came in them, they came to life, and they stood up. And this is the amazing part of it. It wasn't just coming to life, this rebirthing. This rebirthing wasn't about just living. This rebirthing was about operating in the power, because it says that they became a vast army. So I'm encouraging you in this message is that we, we want to prepare ourselves and preparing ourselves is reframing. It's not about just being released from this, this whole system or this system of operations or whatever they're doing. It is about penetrating. It is about uh, uh, prevailing over these manipulations, these devices. It is about God rebirthing us to his greatness. And so I want us, as I do this message, there are, it's going to be a, a two-part message. So I'll do it this, this uh, month and, of course, the next month when I speak. Um, the second part of that reframing for a rebirth. Is not about just living the life. It is not about we. You know, we we talk about COVID and how COVID uh, reset. It just wasn't about um. Hey, all right. So I got my life back. Life as usual. Oh no, no, no. It was some transforming power and transforming situations that came out of COVID. Regardless of what we think about how COVID happened, why it happened. The whole point is there were some major changes. Some good, some very good, some really good. And then of course you have the opposite side of the spectrum, which is gonna always be there because where good is present, evil is always present as well. But we can focus on those major changes powerful changes that came out of COVID. So uh, the title of my message is Reframing for a Rebirth. And I'm going to use as a scriptural text for this message, um, even though I want you to keep Ezekiel, the 37th chapter, in uh, the backdrop of your mind, Romans, the um, first chapter the first through the second chapter, first and second chapter, I mean, first and second verse. 
Romans, the 12th chapter, the first and second verse. Okay. So it says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a, as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Father, in the name of Jesus, we come in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. And Lord, we're just asking for this, this word to be planted, Father God, in good soil so that it produce a harvest. Lord, I thank you that you've already dispatched the angels to cut off any type of distractions, manipulations, and devices, Father God. Open our hearts and our minds up to receive, Father God. Give us clarity in the word coming forth and clarity in our, our understanding of the word. Lord, we're asking you to pour in your additional wisdom, your additional knowledge, and your revelation. Give us your discernment, Father God, so that we will enter into and, and, and mature into the fullness of Jesus Christ. We want to be the example that you have called forth for us to be as a light in this world for your kingdom. So God, we're asking you this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. So, you know, um, I want to really kind of give you the background of, of, of how this message just came about. Um, last week, oh my goodness, I spent two very long and grueling, and when I say long and grueling, they were long and grueling days in what we call, I didn't call it that, they called it that, but they called it a school leadership retreat. Okay, so it was nothing like the word retreat that we're kind of used to. Like a retreat is where you go, you have that quiet place, you get in the presence of God and, you know, you just let him refresh you and restore you. No, there was no, that was not the definition of a retreat. Okay, even though it was a true retreat, but it was not the retreat that had that quiet, secluded place in which, you know, you can rest and relax. No. So this retreat definition was the act of changing one's decision, one's plan or attitude, especially as a result of criticism from others. So, yes, that was the retreat we were like in. And so it came about because the administration of the school, our administration had come under heavy criticism from the staff. I mean, I'm telling you, if they had a complaint, they had, uh, I mean, a hundred complaints. Uh, it just, it was, it, it was nonstop. 
I mean, it was ugly because we had a group come in and, you know, they had a focus group and, and, uh, you know, they were like, um, the survey, a survey was done and it was just ugly. It was ugly. And you could actually, uh, feel the, the results and see the results because of people attitude. I mean, when they're having this attitude toward you, you know that there's got to be some kind of issue, right? Well, it was. And so, of course, um, the complaints were loud, they were clear. Um, The morale was down. There was rebellion that was starting to set in. All this is is going on. And so the administration knew that something had to be done. So school, the day that school was over, so we went back that Tuesday and Wednesday. So Wednesday school was over. Thursday, it was like school leadership retreat. And so on that Thursday, no day of rest, okay, no time to just allow your mind to just, you know, just, just relax and say, oh, finally over. It, no, it was like, oh, no, we got to get busy because we got problems and we need to get these problems solved. And so there was a newly elected school leadership um, that was called. We, we were elected at the end of the year and we were called to come in and endure a nonstop I mean, when I say nonstop, there was no lunch. You, your lunch was to eat and work, okay? And we had to go through every policy and procedure to revamp anything and everything that hindered having a productive workplace. So we were scrutinizing policy, scrutinizing procedure, you know, just going through it and anything that needed to be added or taken away because it contributed to a non-productive workforce. You didn't just take it away, but you had to find replacement for it. So, you know, after two... (laughs) After two days of that, it was like, okay, our, we, we have a total new plan, totally revamped in the, the sense that, and this is the word that was used, that we are going to rebirth this organization, rebirthing for better, not just, you know, coming back and, you know, things are the same, but we are rebirthing We're going to reframe this thing so that we can rebirth and have a better, more productive organization. I'm saying that this message is about reframing the way we do things so that we can have a more productive, a better life that God has given us. And so... As we reframe, we had to look at conditions, issues, problems, and situations in order to rebirth the life of the school and the lives that were in the school. So it wasn't even just about the organization as a whole. It was about 
each individual and their contribution to the organization. Because we want everyone, we want everyone to feel a part. We want everyone to feel accepted. We want everyone to, you know, have a meaningful experience as, you know, we spend, you know, 180 plus days together on this mission that we've been given. So, you know, um, I, I look at that situation and I'm thinking, wow, you know, this is really powerful. Even though it was tiring, it's really, really powerful in the sense that you have this, you know, worldly system and this worldly system is doing whatever it can to operate in the effectiveness. Uh, and it, it really, in as we start to break this apart, we'll see even the spiritual principles that it adopted and implemented um, so that, you know, the, the organization is at its peak performance. I can tell you this, if, if you have a worldly organization by the, like a school with all of its um, issues and the, the conditions of, you know, the people that comes in and, you know, I mean, I can tell you it's a, um, it, it is what we call a, a melting pot of all types of people, all types of people. Now we think about the spiritual principles and how God has us as his children. Now we're supposed to be a little more cohesive, but this organization is doing whatever it can to make this melting pot of all types of people. And I can tell you it's all types of people cohesive. How much more God has given us the masterpiece. The Bible is a masterpiece. I, I can say that, and I'm sure you all can, would identify with me, that it is a masterpiece, and God has gifted it to us, and it has so many treasures in it, so many treasures in it for us to be able to read and, and, and learn from so that it will exemplify the word of God and God's ability to move in and out of our conditions and the situations we face. So I just want us, as we go through uh, this message, I want us to think about this. I want you to think about the masterpiece that God has given us to rely on and how powerful his word is, how powerful his presence is. And how he's able to change those conditions and those situations. I tell you that this message will also expound on the knowledge of God and his word power. And it will also explain or attempt to, because, you know, I'm, I'm under the direction of the Holy Spirit. So I know, you know, I, I, I pray that it explains God's expectation of us, God's expectation of us. When we face a various trials and temptation, I want us to consider Proverbs 
14 chapter, uh, the 14th chapter, the 12th verse, and Proverbs, the 16th chapter, and the 25th verse. Consider that because it tells us that there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Now, I, I told you about these, these dead bones, these dry bones, and the explanation that, you know, death is not always the end of, of life, okay? Death can be the life that we knew, okay? Now, I'm going to be totally honest with the, some of the, the life that I knew that's dead and gone. I'm glad it is, okay? I'm like, that is going to dead. It's in the grave. I'm going to let it stay right there where it belongs. Okay, but God comes, God said that he sent Jesus that we will have life and have it to the fullest. So there are some some aspects of our life that are dead and gone. And it, no doubt some of you may be celebrating with me. Some of us may not realize that, hey, it's a good thing that that thing is gone out of our life because, you know, it just really wasn't taking us in the right direction or it uh, it was a hindrance from us being able to move in a better direction for our life. So, you know, when the Bible talks about it leads to death, it's not always, it, sometimes the, that's the first thing that will come to our mind. But I'm going to show you where some situations can lead to a death that ought not be and that God don't want to be. But we have to be mindful because this is what the worldly system wants to happen. Okay. And so it is so important that we do not, um, like our, our scripture text told us, we don't want to be, we don't want to transform our mind to the patterns of this world. So as we face, of these various trials and um, temptations, we want to understand that um, there are some ways that we can handle things that will not yield the results that God wants it to yield in our life. Okay, so that is what would lead to a death because we're handling this from a perspective that God would not have us handle it from. And we have to be ever so mindful in that. Um, I want us to understand that the word death means the destruction or permanent end of something. And that death could be the death of our inner peace. Uh, we don't want that. We God, Jesus said he leave us with peace. So we certainly don't want to do things in a way that's going to cause our peace to be taken from us. It could be our strength. It could be um, the uh, vital resources, our relationship. Now, I can tell you that when it comes down to relationship, especially, you know, when I was married, um, yeah, I certainly didn't handle the situations in a godly way. God literally wasn't like he wasn't telling me. Um, yeah, but, you know, I let my emotions get the most of me and it got me in my marriage too, okay? So 
And guys, confession is good for the soul. Just kind of letting you know that. But in any case, um, yeah, and it led to death, which was a divorce. Uh, I can tell you, I thank God he has kept me. God, thank you. Um, but, you know, I, I know that it didn't have to be that way. It really didn't. But of course, you know, it was the way I handled things. And I know it. I can put it all on me. I don't have to make up anything. I don't have to, you know, put the blame on him, you know, whether it was part of his fault or not. I know what God told me. I know what he expected from me. So, you know, um, yeah, I, I, that is one of those situations that we definitely want to be mindful that we don't conform to the patterns of the world when we deal with these trials and these, you know, uh, uh, temptations and, you know, face these various um, challenges. So, you know, in my opening example, it was the death of the cohesiveness of our school. And it was the death of the morale of the staff. You know, people were, you know, not coming to work. And when they did, they were coming late. There was whispers. There was gossip. I mean, people didn't want to work together. Um, it, 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 it just was not a good situation. It had come to a head. And so, of course, it was very obvious that the organization needed to have a rebirth with a new birth and a new vision. And so we had to reset the frame of mind in which we looked at and perceived the problems. You know, there is a quote, and I love this saying, don't know who said the quote, but you know, it's, uh, it's a very prevalent quote. And it says, you can't fix a problem with the same frame of mind that caused you cannot fix the problem with the same frame of mind that caused the problem. So, you know, if the problem was, you know, um, lack of accountability and, and uh, unfairness and, you know, just um, uh, just a whole lot of, uh, you know, favoritism and those type of things. Uh, yeah. You think you're going to fix it by continuing that? No, it was not going to be. So there had to be a change in the frame of mind um, in order to encounter and create this new change, this new image. So I want to encourage us. I want to encourage us to do a personal and a spiritual retreat because Romans 12.2 tell us not to conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. So like God in his pattern, we have to start with the end in mind. We have to remember that God works through a lens of eternity. So it is never just about a blessing, your blessing, my blessing, your freedom, my freedom. 
your deliverance, my deliverance, your peace, my peace. It's never about just one thing. <laughs> so our efforts, our efforts in prayer, our efforts in, in um, understanding God, his word, reading his word, gleaning the understanding of who he is and who we are, what our mission is, what our story is. It is just never about the now. See, our efforts should extend into our tomorrow that will have both earthly impact how are we impacting those that God has uh, knitted us with? And heavenly influence, because at the end of this story, what is, what's your book going to read? What is your book going to read? So it is never about just the now. God never just said, okay, this is the now. Even though we do take one day at a time. We need to understand that we look at life through an eternal perspective. And so, of course, we have been discussing um, King David and uh, Sister Cheryl in her eloquence and discussing King David and his life and his impact, which was mighty. It was great. Um, so, of course, We've been discussing his impact and the, the part of his impact were the Psalms that he wrote. Now, you know, he did a lot of, a lot of great things. I mean, we can go on and on, but he did a lot of great things. But one of the things that he wrote were the Psalms and part of the Psalms, not all of them, but you know, some of the Psalms. And I can tell you, they are very impactful. I can say for myself that it has those, those psalms, the word that God gave. That's why I say God's word, the Bible is a masterpiece and it's a gift to us. And we, when we start realizing that and start seeing it as a gift, we will start to see how it is impactful. Just the words there alone, speaking those words. We need to speak God's word more than we speak our own. Because it, it, that's where the life is. And that's where God says he look over his word to perform it. So, I mean, it, the impact that I, the, just reading, you know, the Psalms, not just the Psalms, Proverbs. Oh, my goodness. Talk about foundations for living. So just having the, those gifts from through the word of God to impact us. I know it has been a game changer in my life. So when he wrote that, I'm sure, you know, he was, you know, part of it was um, just really crying out to God about the situation. However, he wrote it down for future generations because we can pray and cry out to God all day long. And the words, you know, of course, God hears us. But I mean, that is it's vertical. It's a vertical thing. You speaking to God. OK, he answers your prayer, but it's not lateral where not only are you 
speaking it to God, God hearing you and answering, but you have now, because of, of, of what he did, writing it down, generations after him, he has laid a foundation by using the mighty pen. You know, that I don't, uh, the, that quote, I think it's a Shakespearean one, the, the pen is mightier than the sword. Well, I can tell you, King David used both quite effectively. <laughs> he used the sword, but he also used the pen. So, of course, the sword, no doubt, was a lateral situation, you know, had to deal with those problems, but uh, not lateral, but vertical. But that pen was lateral because this thing, his writing, his influence in his writing keeps going and going and going. And I can't tell you how many generations have passed between when he lived and wrote that down to where I am today that it is having a major impact in my life. That is having an eternal perspective, thinking with the end in mind. Because long after he is gone, the influence of what he did, his writing is still influencing generations after generations. And God gave it to us as a gift to help us. So he was very effect effective and he was very fervent. And we are the benefactors of this. So we, we think of this in terms of what the world says. The world pattern is do it now. Get it now. Act now. So we act now in hopes of ending the craziness. Uh, listen, we are, we're experiencing it. I said at the beginning, we're here because that common experience. And of course, I bless the Lord that, you know, Pastor Millicent, um, he, that calling, and it's very impactful. It's not just a vertical situation, but it's lateral. It's reaching others and pulling others together. That is the type of mission that is heaven, heavenly influence and earthly impacted. And this is when we think heaven minded. We think heaven focused. Our, our thought process is heaven focused, not conforming according to the world's patterns. So, um, we live in this world, but we got to understand that we're not of this world. But when I, I want us to hear this, when now is a painful place in which it can be, you know, I mean, as we go through, you know, this, this system and the challenges of the system, it can be a plain, painful, painful place. No one's trying to deny or undermine it. And oftentimes the world pattern is that we are to do whatever we can within our power to move away from that place, to get away, to, to be free from it. And so within our power means that anything and everything that we know to do, 
anything and everything we know to do, that, that, is, that is the mission for today. And, and that is where, and I can tell you, use my marriage, for example, that is where we oftentimes get tripped up. Because, you know, I, I wanted him to understand what I was going through right then and there. He had to change. Not me. He did. I had it all backwards, guys. I had it all confused. But that's okay. God got me. He pulled me out of this. I'm, 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 I'm glad he did because it was that thinking, you know, those things within our power that can oftentimes trip us up. And so we want to be mindful that we don't want those trip ups to happen. We want to always have in our mind, well, what does God say? What, God, how do you, how do you want me to handle this? And then be obedient, because I, I can tell you in my situation, <laughs> there was, there was no, there was no gray areas. It was plain as day what I had to do. But getting tripped up in that now situation, Instead of waiting patiently for the Lord to, to fix it and to, you know, correct it. Um, yeah, I had my own ideas and it definitely didn't conform to heaven's pattern. I can tell you that right now. So I can laugh about it now, guys. Uh, it's been, you know, several years. So I can laugh about it now, but it certainly wasn't funny then. Um, but I propose to you the second statement of Romans 12.2. It says, when we ask him with the desire to be obedient to what he says, and that's, that's the second part of it. It says, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Well, I want to say this. Um, that God's good, pleasing, and perfect will is not hidden. It's, it's not hidden, friends. Um, it's in plain sight. It's in the Bible. And we're going to, you know, go over some of it in a moment. But I want to add here that this particular scripture, because as you look at it, it says the good, pleasing, and perfect will. You know, it is a hotbed of scholarly debate. <clears throat> it really is. Um, but I can tell you part of, you know, my teaching, <clears throat> God cautioned me. He said, do not get caught up in the scholarly debates. Seek my knowledge, my wisdom, my understanding, because everything that he does synchronize with his word. And so he's not going to have us running around with our heads cut off trying to figure out, okay, what does this mean? What does this mean? No, he says, seek me <laughs> with all of your heart and you will find me. You're going to find that understanding. You're going to find 
um, how it is to be applied to your situation. So I want us to think about um, everything that oftentimes we do to move us from that painful place, okay? And I, if we're honest, cause I'm honest, sometimes it is certainly not waiting on the Lord, okay? But God want us to be able to wait on him even in those places. So I want to read to you before we uh, go any farther, um, because it's part of our transformation. We have to go through that this transformation, this reframing in order to get the rebirthing, okay? And it's just not, okay, or oh, my life is, you know, oh, starting over and that's good. But no, you start over bigger and better than ever. And so um, I want us to take hold of this script, uh, James, the first chapter, and I'm going to read the second through the eighth verse, because we want to transform our minds. So what does James tell us? Well, this is... Uh, uh, I can tell you for the longest, this was not my favorite scripture. <laughs> and, you know, we know that there are some scriptures that we come to the Bible that we kind of want to just skip all over. Right? Y'all know I, I'm just kind of an honest soul. <laughs> and, you know, you, you see it's like, oh, I'm not there yet. Let's keep moving. I'll come back to it later. Um until we can get to that point, we just kind of skip over that. Okay, I'll come back to it later. Maybe in a month or two, I'll be ready for it. But James, the first chapter, the second through the eighth verse tells us, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kind. Mm. All right, so uh, I, I haven't heard rejoicing yet, but you know, I'm sure we're getting there. Whenever you face trials of many kinds, whatever those trials are guys, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance and let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Mm, okay, so if any of you lack wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. I tell you, that's one of the things that we really do have to deal with. And we have to deal with doubt swiftly because it certainly can be a hindrance. Um, and the Bible tells us that such a person is double-minded and unstable in all of their ways. So anytime we see a situation of doubt or uh, 
any situation of doubt, we want to definitely put it on the altar. Okay. So it, I'm sure most of us um, know James, the first chapter, the second through the eighth verse, whether we live by it or not. We're supposed to count it all joy when we're dealing with diverse or different trials and temptation. Whether, whenever you face trials of many kinds, it says that we are supposed to find a joy in it because there is a result. There is a productivity that is coming at the end of it when we handle it according to godly principles, according to godly instruction. And so, you know, it, when someone is trying you or something is trying you yet again, when we're in the now, we want to change whatever conditions or do whatever we can to make it stop and just make it go away. However, I want us to understand this and I'm gonna make this comment. I encourage you to write it down. It's something that I had to grow into, but I bless the Lord. God may not be calling for your circumstances to change first. I'm not saying that he's not calling for your circumstances to not to change. What I'm saying, what he revealed to me is that he may not be calling for your circumstances to change first, but he may be calling you first to change in your circumstances. He may be calling you to change first. Change your heart condition. Change your thought process. He may be calling for that change first. So I'm going to expound. And I'm going to use Joseph in the Bible as an example. Because clearly... He has, he has made the grade, okay? He passed the test, he made the grade, and now he is noted as an example for us to follow. So <clears throat> we're going to reframe that story to one in which, as we consider it, examine our own life and how we have to live that uh, model out in our life. So we understand that our end results may not be saving, saving a nation. It may not be that, but it certainly could be one in which we're saving a generation. It could be saving a loved one. It could be saving or sparing effects or conditions in our life or in the life of other people. Here's the thing. 
we're just the vessel God is using. And when it becomes about us, it no longer is about him. We have to understand that. When it becomes about us, it is no longer about him. But it's always about him because he is sovereign and we're the vessel that he's using. And you know what? I'm okay with that. I'm glad that he found me worthy enough to use me. Use me, God. I mean, you know, we think about, you know, these love relationships and being used by the girl or being used by the guy and how that puts us at a, another level of, uh, you ain't going to use me. Well, yeah, God, if you want to use me, use me. I'll take it. <laughs> I, I will. Thank you. I would rather be used by you in a situation than find myself, you know, trying to save my own self, save my own life, save my own situation. So let him use you. So, of course, we want God because when it is about him, it makes him responsible for you. All he's asking you to do is be responsive to him in his word. So I want you to keep that in mind as we peer into the elements, the insults, the assaults on Joseph's life. Okay. So this story is coming from chapters 37 Genesis chapters 37 through chapter 50. Okay, it's a really long, detailed story, but it is certainly worth examination. And, you know, I just want to, you know, just add a caveat here that um, this is not the only example. There are many examples in, in the Bible, and you can pick and choose from those examples. But I love the story of Joseph because it really does touch on um, some very potent points that we actually see and experience um, as targeted individuals or persecuted Christians, I like to call it. So during your own personal spiritual retreat, I encourage you to have one. Um, I pick someone in the Bible that you can glean from, that you can identify, you can glean from the knowledge of their story to help you understand and live out your own story according to God's good, pleasing, and perfect will. So first, let's, because we're going to consider Joseph first. He was hated and disrespected by his brothers. Second, they sold him out. Sold him out and sold him into forced labor. Third, that was after they contemplated killing him, putting him in a hole, leaving him there to die. <laughs> brothers from the same blood. Imagine that. Wow. Okay. 
And then after they sold them out and sold them into a forced labor, he was in Potiphar's house where um, he was lied on and lied about. All right. Falsely accused. Sentenced to serve confinement for wrong he never committed. This continued for about 13 years or more. Imagine. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> what pain. What pain. Wow. I, I, I hope you can see some parallels. Very hurtful. I would assume, at least from the respect, the, the perspective where I see it. Yet, let's consider Joseph's responses. One, he was steadfast in his obedience to God. His love, his acceptance, and his commitment to help others did not waver. He did not hold back in operating in his gifts, his callings, his skills, and his abilities. And he remained fervent and passionate. See, I want to say this, and I hope you write it down, because it goes back to the last quote I gave you. The conditions surrounding him did not matter. It was the conditions that was in him that made the kingdom impact, which God used mightily. It wasn't him being in a dungeon or a prison or being in a hole or being hated by his brothers. That, that was there to season him. But it was his heart condition that remained pure and undeterred to do God's will and to honor God with his life is what allowed God to use him to make such an impact. And God used him mightily. Not only was so many others the benefactor of Joseph's purpose-driven life, but he was too. So not only did it benefit others, but guess what? God redeemed, he restored, he rebirthed, he made Joseph mightier than an army himself, himself, by himself. He was mightier than the army. As a matter of fact, he was second in command of a land that he had absolutely no affiliation with. Imagine that. A foreigner, a stranger, an alien, as they would call it in the conspiracy world. God used him, not only to help the Egyptians, but the, the, his own people. Imagine the story, not because of the conditions that he was in, it was the condition of his heart toward God, toward the situations that God allowed him to endure. So, He benefited, and we do as well. 
because we can learn from his amazing story of perseverance. Did he want to come from under the circumstances? Of course he did. He even said to the cupbearer, when you are restored, remember me. It took two years for the cupbearer memory to be jolted to remember. Oh, yeah, there's uh, this guy who's in the dungeon over there. Yeah, he may be able to help you. Two years. Imagine that. However, God had a perfect timing in which he would deliver, use, and reward Joseph. And with one stroke of God's sovereign pen, Joseph's life was totally turned around. Totally turned around. I want us to understand throughout the story, if you go back and read it, you will observe that Joseph always pointed to and honored God. He never made the mission about himself. Didn't matter whether it was an issue of right or wrong and indifference. I encourage us. Make the issue your mission to glorify God in it, despite what is happening with it. We want to reframe our minds to be that vessel where God is glorified through it all, through it all. So, what does your waiting look like? What does your waiting look like? If we read the, the parable in Luke 19, the 13th chapter, Jesus expects us, as he said in the parable, he expects us to occupy till he comes. So that means that he wants us to be actively engaged in heaven. Um, minded or a heavenly task. And that's just, I mean, we, church is part of it, but it's the learning, it's the teaching, it's the transforming our minds. See, because once you, once you leave here, you have to deal with the rest of your life and your conditions and your situations. This is the empowering point. This is the place where you are empowered, that you are, um, you know, part of your, your seeds, you're refreshed, you're renewed, you're strengthened, you're encouraged. And I should hope that that becomes a pattern of your everyday life. So God wants us to be active, active, learning, teaching transforming, not just within ourselves, but in the pursuit of transforming others as well. So we have to make sure that we are careful to examine our thought processes, our heart condition, and our soul state. 
even as you prepare to do that, make sure that it is purpose-driven and not target-driven. I, I really need you to understand that purpose-driven it, it, it's all-inclusive. It is all-inclusive. It's not just one thing. It's all of it. So we want your life. God wants your life to exceed beyond the immediate condition. When we limit our life to one condition, it limits our outcome. And we don't want to limit our outcome. There is so much that God can do with our life. And we may be thinking one thing and God got a situation totally on the other end of the spectrum. But because our focus is in this one place, we can miss it. And so we want to open ourselves up. And I want to share with you, I'm going to give you three words. And of course, we're going to get ready to close in a bit. But I'm going to give you these, uh, they're not words, they're more phrases, okay, that um, God just gave to me. And I'm going to share this revelation that he shared with me. So I want you to hear this with an open mind. Okay. Because God wants us watching our heart condition, our minds, and our soul states. Now, I'm going to, well, people will say, well, your mind is part of your soul. Well, I'm going to explain the three different ones. So, he said, watch for them. So, let me give you these three Phrases. Heart condition. Heart condition will cause you to be unforgiven. It will cause you to hate. It will cause you to be jealous. It will cause you to envy. It will cause you to take vengeance. And it will cause you to retaliate. Heart conditions. God requires us to have a forgiven heart. Yes, I, I don't undermine anything that anybody go through, but he said, vengeance is mine. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. He put it in his hands. Mind attrition. Mind attrition, A-T-T-R-I-T-I-O-N. Mind attrition is an action or process of gradually reducing strength or effectiveness of someone or something through sustained attacks or pressure. Now, we know that there are mind control technologies and techniques out there and people use them 
And uh, that's an evil and wicked thing. And no one is undermining anything, any attack that anyone goes through. We do have to understand where God is in all of this. And is there anything too hard for him? He's a sovereign God. Soul sedition. Soul sedition, S-E-D-I-T-I-O-N. That's rebelling against, incitement of, discontent or sub subversion of established authority. It's when you do things outside of God's sovereign authority. Acting on your own without consulting him without getting his direction. His words to me were, I don't know what he's saying to you, and I'm not trying to judge anybody's situation. I know what he said to me, and I'm just exemplifying him in the situation. But he said to me, when you are looking through a tainted lens, everything is going to be skewed. When you're looking through a tainted lens, everything is going to be skewed. Now, <laughs> I'll share some stories later. But just think about putting on your sunglasses. And, you know, it's a bright, sunny day. Sunshine is coming my way. Beautiful day. And so we put on the sunglasses to block the harmful rays, but it also blocks the clarity of the light. We have to be ever so mindful of our heart conditions. We have to be mindful, you know, those attacks, put them under the blood, put them under the blood, put them under the power of Jesus. Souls, that soul state, we have to wait patiently on the Lord. So he proceeded to show me that those tainted lenses need to come off so that I could see him in his mission for me clearly. So the first clarity that I'm sharing with you, and I hope you have an open mind, is that he is sovereign. And if he leads, if he led me to it, then he would lead me through it. I can't view my situation as the world view it. I have to see my life, and I hope you do the same. I hope you see your life from God's eternal lens and what that means to your life 
What that mean to your story that is being written out as we speak. Next, I have to depend on him as he lead my steps. Sometimes God, I don't know about anybody else, but sometimes I get taught the hard lessons. Maybe it's because I'm a teacher and there's some things that I'm supposed to already know, I guess. I have no idea. I've learned to not even question it. But I do know that sometimes his words are straight and to the point. No niceties, no wanting me to feel good about it. It's kind of a, uh, this is the way it is, point blank, as a matter of fact. And I just say, thank you, God. And I'm not saying that he's always that way with me, but I am so glad that he knows that he can be because he has entrusted me with his knowledge. He has entrusted me with his power. He has entrusted me with his authority to carry out and carry forth in this earthly realm. So if he's entrusting me with all that, he's got to be concerned with how I'm going to take revelation that he gives to me. I think not. So there are benefits, benefits to operate in his knowledge and his power and his authority, benefits. And I can tell you right now, the enemy knows. The enemy knows. The enemy, uh, let me tell you, uh, very few people tried Elijah. <laughs> okay? Very few. Now, Jezebel, she was off the chain. <laughs> but she got hers at the end, too. But in the, in the interim, they saw the authority working in his behalf. So what I'm saying is that spiritual power is worth having. The authority is worth having. So it means that he needs me and you and you and you to be able to handle his truth. He needs us to be able to handle his truth, no matter what they look like or what it feels like. That requires us to keep an open heart and a pure heart towards him. And when he checks me, I don't know about any of you, but I can tell you, <laughs> when he checks me, it is my responsiveness to remain in that place of checking myself. So I don't get drawn back to that worldly pattern of handling things. So third, as we attempt to reframe that inward self, we want to make sure that our mind is renewed, our heart is full of love for him and others, and our soul hunger and thirst 
for his righteousness. Here's the big part of that. And this is where I'm going to end and leave you with this thought. I have to be willing to let go and let God. That's a very big topic. Sometimes we don't like to discuss it. But we have to identify what that looked like for us. We should be able to say what that looked like. Okay, paint a picture. What does let go and let God look like? So on my next time with you, I want to encourage you while we wait, pray, meditate, Ask God, what does let go and let God, let go and let you mean? What does that look like in my life as it pertains to every aspect of my life, including the targeting? What should I be doing or not doing as it pertains to these areas of my life? And that's not just in targeting, but we're talking every area of your life. We should be getting answers, revelations, breakthroughs. Just ask him. I encourage you to set aside some time for your own personal spiritual retreat so that you can Go before him with that question and let him paint that picture for you. And I pray until the next time that you are just endued with his power, his knowledge, his wisdom, and understanding. Amen. Amen.